ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. to where the big boys play podcast. This is part two of our discussion on the Crockett Cup 1988. This is where the big boys play. Anyway, um, uh, the next match here is a heel versus heel match. Uh, quite interesting. The Midnight Express versus the Sheep Herders. Um, and uh, we get some interesting kind of comments uh, by Jim Ross uh, on... Uh, Jim Cornette versus Muhammad Ali is the greatest talker ever to come out of uh, where, where is it Louisville? Yes. Um, and yeah, so that was quite an entertaining bit of comment. And I get the sense that Jim Ross has great affection for Jim Cornette uh, as a man, and uh, I think this comes through with some of his comments during uh, during this match. Um, the Sheepherders uh, were told despise all American teams. Um, and they had like some sort of scallywag outside the ring. Who was that? Who was that chap who was with them? It was their flag bearer. Any idea who he is? I think his name wasn't that. Wasn't their flag bearer Rip Morgan? Rip Morgan. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. And is he famous for anything else? Um, all I know about Rip Morgan is that he was an actual uh, he was actually from New Zealand um, and he worked with the sheep herders um, I, I guess in a managerial capacity I don't know he carried the New Zealand flag um, I think he eventually wrestled um, in the 80s but I, I, I don't know in what territory or you know, or when that happened, but I mean, he's, you know, he's not like uh, Nikita Koloff. I mean, he's legitimately uh, from New Zealand. Um, he's not that I'm saying Nikita Koloff is supposed to be from New Zealand, but you know, he's he's a legitimate he's foreigner. Right, exactly. He's he's a legitimate foreigner, and uh, I think that the um, NWA is to be commended for for cashing in on the deep uh, anti-New Zealand sympathies that were going around so, um, in 88. Going, I was going to ask about this. What, what sort of gimmick is this? A group of New Zealanders who hate the US. I mean, does that, is that, rivalry, does that rivalry exist at all? Having lived through the American South in the late 1980s, I will tell you that it could have been anyone from any country. Um, as long as they came into the NWA and did just even baseline disrespect toward America, it didn't matter. You know, they, they could have come in and, and said, hey, guys, we're from, you know, it's, it's hard to think of New Zealand as an enemy, but uh, they could have come in and said, hey, we're from Canada and, and, and we don't like 
the way you look and all of a sudden it's you ain't from around here are you and it's on just something really weird about waving the new zealand flag as if that's kind of i don't know i mean it, it's ne it never occurred to me before i didn't realize the sheep herders gimmick had this kind of patriotism and anti-american sentiment built into it uh before this match um okay so butch and luke work over eaton to start and i i i will admit i had difficulty telling them apart during this match it's been a while since i've seen the ship sheep herders but i think butch was the guy with more hair am i right i can't remember I think yes. he's the one with slightly Butch more. has the darker hair. Yeah. Um, they, uh, uh, so, the, yeah, they work over Eaton to start. They uh, kind of uh, put Eaton into the fence outside. The ref gets distracted. And um, basically, to cut a long story short, or short story short, the midnight to get a cheap win uh, after using the tennis racket. So this was an interesting... Uh, you know, little unexpected match here. Uh, Robert, any thoughts? I could watch Bobby Eaton wrestle, you know, all day. Uh, he's he's so technically sound, and even in this short, kind of boring, edited all to hell match, you you really got a sense of that. Um, also, to your earlier point, I made a note of this that during the match, um, Jim Ross kind of speculates that. Um, the crowd is probably on on the side of the Midnight Express because, and this is a quote, if nothing else, they are citizens of our country. Yes, I I I I did note that he said that. <laughs> were, were, were the cheers borne out? I mean, I didn't really sense a lot of heel heat for the cheap herders here. No, I think that um, you know people in the South at that time were used to the Midnight Express and. It's kind of like the 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 difficulty of of to to get super modern on on everybody. The difficulty of of selling CM Punk as a bad guy in Chicago, it's difficult to do. You know, Ric Flair's never gonna get booed in in North Carolina, you know. It, and and so I think the Midnight Express were were familiar to these people. They they'd been you know they've been watching Beautiful Bobby for for years and years it seems um and so playing on the innate kind of anti-foreigner sentiment that you know the, the cheap kind of xenophobia that that's the last refuge of not being able to think of anything else um i think that people were behind them in that express but it's also quite possible and probable that turner home video sweetened up the crowd noise a little bit Chad, any thoughts on this one? There, there wasn't a whole lot, I don't think, <laughs> to this. Um, sheep herders, I don't think, added much, but weren't, you know, greatly offensive in what they did here. And uh, the Midnight's picked up a kind of signature win for them with using the tennis racket, so it's pretty quick and painless. I wonder how far down the list of countries you have to go before New Zealand comes up. As, uh, <laughs> as the, I wonder how many people in the crowd could have pointed to a map and located New Zealand. That's kind of what I was wondering. Uh, do you think there's ever been like a heel from like I don't know Belgium or something like, or uh, mm, Luxembourg yeah, or yeah, uh, Greenland? Kind of some of these 
<laughs> oh man, this opens up so many good ideas, guys. Yeah, you see, I think what happens though is that um, people from around that area, like if you're Belgian, you'd be co-opted to be French in the world of wrestling, or like if you're anywhere from the Middle East, you'd be co-opted to be. Uh, Iran, if it's the early 80s, or Iraq, if it's the early 90s. Um, you know, so it's, you, you have to think of a region that can't be co opted uh, to another region. Um, yeah. Or if you're like from Africa, you'd be shoehorned into a Kamala star gimmick, right? Or a savage gimmick uh, around this time. So it's like, you ha you, like New Zealand's quite unique in that you can't, you can't make it any of those other things. Has there, and this is kind of showing my ignorance, what have, what have we done with Scandinavia? Have we ever had a, I'm trying to think. Well, there's, there's not there, the Barbarian. Right, yeah, okay, yeah, ancient Scandinavia. Uh, I guess the Warlord is kind of, sort of, sort of, maybe in his 1990 run, he's kind of... And then there was a guy in uh, in UWF... Who um, was named Finland Hellraiser Thor? Um, Ludwig Borger, of course. I, I think that was him. I think he was wrestling there under the name of Finland Hellraiser Thor. Yeah, well, I, of course, Ludwig Borger, the Finn, the, the Finn who hates America. Um, he uh, had a feud against Lex Luger. I can't think of any other Scandinavians off the top of my head, to be honest. Frank Anderson, he got he got a little pushed. Oh, just, Chad, who was that guy uh, that we encountered early on? Lars Anderson, was it? He was Scandinavian. Lars Anderson. He was Scandinavian, wasn't he? It's like uh, Gordon Soley keeps on calling them the Scandinavian connection, because uh, Ole Anderson is also Scandinavian, apparently. Scandinavian American. <laughs> anyway, um, so. The, the next match is Kevin Sullivan versus Jimmy Garvin in a what was the name of this in a Prince of Darkness. Yes. Prince of Darkness death match. Prince of Darkness death match. Um, and what people that died were the people that had to watch this atrocity. <laughs> um this was stupid. <laughs> uh so I actually thought like in my naivety. I thought that this had only ever happened with Jake Roberts versus Rick Martel. Um, you know, the blind match that they have. Is it WrestleMania 8, off the top of my head? WrestleMania 7. WrestleMania uh, this, 7 just yeah. a quick tangent on that match. That's one of the uh, first times, really, as a kid that I realized wrestling was fake because at the very beginning of that match I can still vividly remember uh Martel sticking his hand up in the hood, and you can clearly see his hand uh, inside the hood. <laughs> so obviously, you could see uh, it, it just—it kind of crushed my dreams as a seven-year-old. But I, I do think that these guys deserve a little bit of credit for this because they did a pretty decent job pretending that they couldn't see through those bags. Yeah, so, well, why don't I take us through the action of this match? Although, I do have uh, a couple of little thoughts on uh, Roberts and Martel uh, as well. I will come to that in a little bit. Um, Garvin uses uh, Jake Roberts' tactic, uh, or rather, Jake Roberts uh, used Garvin's tactic uh, a couple of years later of using the, 
the cheers of the fans to guide his movement. So, I mean, if you're a heel, why are you getting involved in this match? You know, you've got nobody on your side. Um, as it happens, Kevin Sullivan does have Rick, Stein, uh, Rick Steiner in his corner, um, and he keeps on slapping Garvin's knee to confuse him, which I thought was quite clever. Um, anyway, this goes on for some time, um, and Garvin gets pinned out of nowhere. Uh, then we get a bit of post-match stuff where Steiner jumps him, uh, Ron Garvin comes in to make the save, and then, uh, I was amused by this, Mike Rotunda comes in for the counter-save, and the heels get the better of it, um, which I was delighted by. I, I always like it when heels come out on top. So, Anyway, thought, th thoughts on this? Uh, Robert, you were in the middle of uh, saying that you thought they did a good job. Well, I, th I think they deserve a little bit of credit for um, for for pretending that they couldn't see through those bags, uh, which is not to say that this wasn't stupid because this was just stupid. Um, Jim Ross uh, had another brilliant observation when he said uh, that he's heard of schools for the blind having amateur wrestling teams, but this is a whole different situation. <laughs> Uh, Chad, any thoughts on this? <laughs> uh, I mean, I hated this. This, to me, is up there with the scaffold matches and my least favorite gimmick match. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it was quick. That's as good of a compliment as I can give it. So, I, I want to come back very briefly to uh, Rick Martel and Jake, uh, Jake Roberts in that feud. Um, Chad, you said this was one of the first moments that you realized that wrestling was fake, but did the fact that there was a man going around with a, going around with a, a giant um, kind of dispenser full of perfume or aftershave called arrogance spraying it into people's eyes not kind of make you think that maybe something wasn't quite legit here? Uh, I mean, I don't know. We are talking about the night. mind of a six-year-old. I still believe a fat guy in a red suit flew around the world in one night and gave me presents. So, uh, I mean, you know. So arrogance really wasn't that tough of a sell. I, I, I actually might have, I might have written uh, arrogance on a Christmas list. I'm, I, it may have happened. I, I won't confirm that, but... Uh, I kind of might have wanted arrogance as some uh, perfume to impress some of the girls in my first grade class. I, <laughs> I do think that particular gimmick is one of the more outlandish. The more I think about it, the more absurd it becomes. That that model gimmick, <laughs> you know, he's a wrestling model who uh, has a giant canister of. Uh, a scent that he calls arrogance that he sprays in people's eyes is kind of like it, it, yeah these these gimmicks in the WWF it's just when you start thinking logically I mean Coco beware he's the bird man what the hell does that mean I mean that, so how do you get from collecting birds or handling birds to become I mean is that a mountie a big balls you know any of these kind of double occupation type gimmicks are always kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, how the boss man didn't get sacked from his, uh, county, was it Col Cobb County, Georgia? Cobb County, which Cobb he, County, uh, he actually was a, uh, he was a uh, warden there, so. 
I, I, I should uh, mention to you, Robert, if you haven't listened to some of the previous shows, um, Chad and uh, the old the old boss man go way back. So um, they're good. They were sort of friends in real life. I drove through Cobb County recently on my way to uh, Alabama, and um, I could not stop. The, the, from the moment I saw the first sign singing the uh, the hard time song, yeah, uh, just on a loop in my head. Um. And I did, I did obey all the signs, and I did respect the law and order, and I made it through. It's another kind of a embarrassing childhood moment since I just admitted that I uh, wanted arrogance for Christmas. But uh, in the Hard Times song, you know, there's the uh, lyric, carrying a big stick. Uh, so for about 10 years, it was actually... I was 18 and watched an old Ballsman match and realized it, but I always, always thought the lyric was carrying a biscuit, <laughs> like carrying a biscuit sandwich. So, I mean, I'd be singing around my house, and my mom, either she didn't know better or just letting me go on being an idiot, I'd be, you know, carrying a biscuit and just completely oblivious. To, to be fair, um, the, the Ballsman did look like he'd carried more than a few biscuits in yeah, his time. Yeah. I, I can definitely see the uh, boss man downing a, a sausage and gravy biscuit. So, yeah. Well, I mean, to me, as uh, somebody who lives in the UK, a biscuit is something that you dunk in your tea, not something that you. Oh buy. God, Park! Come on. <laughs> not something that you uh, put gravy, as you call it, on. No, no more jumping jacks jokes after that. <laughs> well, you know, I, 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 I haven't mentioned this before, but uh, for my honeymoon, we did. Uh, Route 66, and uh, I actually got to have uh, biscuits and gravy for breakfast one day when I was staying in Arizona um, with this old couple, and uh, he he made me some more authentic. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's kind of strange because we don't have uh, biscuits and gravy here. Um, so essentially, uh, I mean, in my mind, it's a scone, something that you. <laughs> Uh, what you call a biscuit is closer to to what we would call a scone uh, here or or a scone. Uh, you put jam and cream on it, and you and you have it with your afternoon tea uh, traditionally. So um, yeah, and that then that gravy stuff is basically like a white sauce, right? It's like a what is that? A bread sauce? Yeah, it's it's got a lot of uh, flour and. Uh... It, it's it's pretty much a a, a clogged artery waiting to happen. That's kind of one of the key ingredients. But it's a very weird thing to have for breakfast. Like, why is that a breakfast dish? It's it's unlike any other breakfast dish I can think of. Uh, is that like something that only happens down south, or do they have it all over the United States? I I would say it's definitely predominantly southern. Yeah, it's... It's but. it's definitely a southern thing, but it's it's kind of its influence is spreading. 
Um, not to not to further derail this, but I just want to make sure uh, we're talking to the guy who comes from the country where they make sausage out of blood, right? Oh yeah, uh, the black pudding uh, is called. Yeah. Okay, black just just wanted to make sure we were clear on that before we start talking about how weird biscuits hey, are. I, I actually had a, a black pudding today. I was uh, I was at a Gordon Ramsay restaurant and uh, there was some black pudding on the on the menu. So I, I ate that today. Believe it or not. Anyway, <laughs> let's let's get. To, when was the last time you guys had biscuits and gravy? I, I'm I'm not gonna admit that, but uh, <laughs> it was within the last week. That's all. I'll say. <laughs> Okay. I, I made a trip to I made a Saturday morning trip to Hardee's, which is a fast food restaurant down here. Robert, do you eat biscuits, biscuits and gravy? I um I I have I have vegetarianism, so oh, okay. Okay. I uh, I can make them uh, using analogs. I mean, I'll make you know I'll make biscuits all the time, but uh, the gravy uh, I've I've. I stay away from from that mostly. Is there meat in the gravy then? Oh, there's there's meat in. Uh, dude, we live in Georgia. There's meat in everything. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, this show is rapidly turning into some cultural education for me. I get a bit more every <laughs> every every week. Um. So <laughs> now I think we get this uh, unwanted clip to the bunk out bunkhouse stampede final which we've already reviewed so we're just going to skip it here um and i wonder if this was just to i don't know what this was for just to fill up a bit of tape or is this where the 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 prevalent scars on dusty's arm came from what the the bunkhouse stampede match yeah where you know um he was being cut with the uh the belt buckle against the side of the cage um by one of the, I think it one of the powers of pain, and you know how Dusty always has those has always had as long as I've known him that those not that I know him but known of him those scars on his upper arm and I was wondering this is the first time I've ever seen him bleed from that area and I'm wondering if this is where that scarring came from. It's a possibility. But whatever the trophy was a giant boot I like that part. <laughs> um, so, so the next match uh, is the powers of pain. Versus the Row Warriors, which is, in my mind, something of a dream match. Would you agree? As a kind of kayfabe Mark fan, that's a kind of dream oh, match. definitely, yeah. yeah. This was this was a a, a big deal. Um, I, I think that uh, also it's worth noting that the Powers of Pain with Ivan Koloff were the six man tag champions, and I've at the time, I mean, it's it's not a thing anymore, but I loved six-man tag team matches and I, I loved the fact that there was a six-man title and, and I wish it had been something that had been kept up with and continued through because I think there's a lot of possibility in a six-man tag champ uh, six-man tag match and having the championship kind of ensures that we'll we'll get to see more of them hmm. um, at least ostensibly it's not like you know the WWE currently has a tag team championship uh, but before Kane and Daniel Bryan won it, we really didn't see a whole lot of tag matches. So just because there is a title doesn't necessarily mean we'll see the matches. I, I do think they bring it back at some point. Because I've see i got a vague recollection of JYD having a really late run uh, in like 91 or something. Where he's a he is a six-man tag champ around that time. Um, 
back. I do think they tried to bring them back uh, at least more, than, at least once. Um, the or I, I think they go away and come back again quite a, like a number of times. These six-man tag belts. But yeah, um, the powers of pain are uh, are these champions with uh, with Ivan Koloff at this point. Um, as this match starts, Barbarian kicks the animal in the, uh, animal in the head. Um, animal answers with a uh, power slam. We see quite a lot of power slams tonight. Um, this, this is one of many. Um, JR pauses to mention that Paul Jones um, won the Johnny Cash Award for Who Can Wear the Most Black, uh, which is one of, <laughs> one of many interesting little comments that Jim Ross makes throughout uh, this evening. Um, it's difficult to um, tell who is who here uh, at some points for me, because if you kind of squint your eyes a bit, they all look the same, these, these four guys. Um, especially, especially once the face paint starts peeling off. Yeah, and especially I think Hawk and Barbarian, uh, weirdly, like from a distance, they kind of look the same side on. Um, they have the same hairstyle. The Row Warriors are generally on top uh, at the start, I think. Um, Hawk uh, picks up the ring steps at one point um, when they're outside the ring and throws them at the Powers of Pain. Um, the uh, Paul Jones actually does something for once and remonstrates with Randy Anderson. He wants a DQ for that. Um, the uh, Powers of Pain regroup um, and uh, Jim Ross makes another comment here saying that it's pointless for Randy Anderson to try to reason with the powers of pain because they don't understand anything above crayons. <laughs> which, uh, which is, like, he was obviously in a funny mood. Um, we get a drop kick from Hawk on Warlord. Uh, there's, there's a clothesline from Barbarian on Hawk. Uh, we get a slam and a leg drop from Warlord, which actually didn't look too bad uh, in my mind. Uh, the Barbarian uh, comes in, we get a big kick in Hawk's face, which looks quite nasty, because it's kind of upwards, you know, he kicks, uh, Hawk's kind of looking down and he kicks him up in his face. Um, Ivan Koloff uh, comes in for it, well, he gets a cheap shot in. Um, the Warlord uh, slams uh, Hawk, I think, to the outside. Barbarian hits him with a chair. Uh, then we get another perfectly executed power slam from Barbarian. Um, we get a bear hug from Warlord now. He attempts a full Nelson, uh, and Hawk slips out. And as I've said before, I always think the full Nelson is a curiously old school move. Um, the Barbarian comes in. He gets a bear hug of his own. Um, there's quite a lot of beef in the, in that ring. I think you know a lot of beefy guys in this match. There's some uh, miscommunication from uh, the heels. Um, which opens up uh, the opportunity for a hot tag. Animal comes in, he power slams Barbarian, he shoulder blocks him, then he bl blatantly closed lines the ref, um, which looks like it's by mistake, but it's a pretty full-on clothesline. Barbarian misses a headbutt from the top. From the top. Um, Teddy Long comes out because the ref is just uh, out, and it's uh, Randy Don't Call Me Pee Wee Anderson again. Um, and uh, Teddy Long counts the three, and then there's an amazing moment where Randy Anderson wakes up and really pathetically pulls on Teddy Long's uh, trousers, or on his on his pants, I guess you guys would say, um, which made me laugh quite a bit. It was one of the funniest moments of the evening for me, and I think that Long may even take a bump, like he may even fall 
uh, as a result of this pulling on the pulling on his uh, uh, trouser leg. Um, the powers of pain go through uh, because the warriors get get DQ'd for the uh, clothesline on the ref, which was an interesting finish. So, Chad, any thoughts on this? Otherwise, I, I I didn't really like this that much. Uh, it was kind of a beefy tag, but a lot of stuff looked kind of sloppy and reckless. Mm. And then you get a uh, uh, just a absolutely completely dumbass finish where, I mean, I, I don't understand Pee Wee's rationale <laughs> for disqualifying what was clearly an inadvertent. Uh, you know, he him being in the wrong place is somehow animal's fault. But uh, so that finish was dumb and clearly a cop out to get the Road Warriors out of the tournament. Uh, so I didn't like this very much at all. Robert, after watching at this point on the home video release, I think it had been about an hour of these quick edits of of other matches. Uh, you know, basically an entire. Night's program edited down, plus clips from other shows, as we've discussed. It was um, kind of jarring to see a regularly paced match. And I'm not saying they didn't cut parts out of this either, but this definitely seemed a little more deliberately paced and a little less uh, heavily edited. And so it was it was really shocking. You know, once you're used to this quick pace, cuts to women in the crowd and cuts back to the ring, to get a regular kind of build of a match. Um, but I do agree that there there was a lot of sloppiness here. Um, it was just basically four big dudes crashing into each other, and it's you know it's the NWA in the late '80s, so of course the referee is going to get hit. It's it's not a matter of if but when. Uh, yeah, the only real surprise is that Tom Young wasn't involved. I guess Randy Anderson's uh, taking more of these uh, bumps now. Um, but I did. I mean, did you did you see that uh, moment where uh, Randy Anderson is uh, tugging on his uh, on his leg? I really thought that. Was I do. I, I know what you're talking about when when <laughs> Teddy Long comes out, and I I think that um, I love Teddy Long as a referee. Um, I, I think that um, it's a shame. I mean, I don't begrudge him his living at all, but I think it's a shame that we don't get to see him, that, that there's a, a generation of wrestling fans that are not going to get to see him in that capacity because I, I think he was he was kind of fun when he was in that role. Yeah, I, mean, I, did, I didn't think much of the match itself, but uh, that, that one moment gave me some joy. You know, I, I, I wrote something down in my notes, and this may not be the right time to bring it up, but uh, we, we were talking earlier about uh, halls of fame and who should be in them and who, who isn't in them. And I'm wondering, and I know there's political reasons, I, I'm, I'm enough of an internet wrestling nerd to, to know the story behind it a little bit, but I just don't think there's a reason that Tony Schiavone isn't in the WWE Hall of Fame, mm. aside from politics. Um, he's, you know, he's definitely done more for, um, for the sport or for the, the medium or whatever you want to call it than, than, than Drew Carey. Um, but it it just, um, and I think some of the things that he said in this match obviously must've made me think of that because I wrote it down during the notes for this match. But, um, I don't know who we got to talk to in Connecticut to get this, uh, this campaign underway, but let's get Giovanni in that hall of fame. 
do you think it's a, even a possibility? Um, because what, one of the things I've noticed, uh, you know, having been a wrestling fan for some time, is that Tony Schiavone is one guy who very few people in the industry have anything good to say about. Everybody shits on him in their shoes. I've yet to meet anyone who has anything good to say about him, and I know for a fact because I live in Athens, Georgia, and he um, he does broadcast work for the University of Georgia Bulldogs. Um, he won't talk about wrestling. I, I know people uh, through my work that are colleagues of his that, that work in the, uh, the with the radio station that, that he works for, and he just simply won't talk about it. Um, I've even gone so far as to try to get him to consent to the shortest of interviews for the Atomic Elbow, and, and apparently it's just not something that he's interested in. Chad, did you tweet him once or something? Am I imagining that? Yeah, you're imagining that. He will respond to you on Twitter. Right. I, I, maybe somebody else uh, tweeted him or something. But uh, I hear him on the radio every morning, but he's uh, not talking about wrestling. Yep, he's always doing the Coach Mark Richt report for the University of Georgia Bulldogs. Do, do you think you should be in the Hall of Fame, Chad? The WWE Hall of Fame? Yeah, I got, I got no problem with him being in the WWE uh, Hall of Fame version. I think, uh, as I've said... On a lot of these shows, I think I'm a pretty big proponent of Tony as a uh, commentator, and think he was really uh, one of the one of the best in the uh, in the business for a while. I'm um, definitely confident enough to uh, be in the WWE version of the Hall of Fame. I mean, you know, who knows with the uh, dealings here? They may have asked him. Uh, I mean, I doubt it, but they could have asked him and. Uh, when WrestleMania was in Atlanta, and he declined, but uh, I, I think if he was willing to be in it, it, he'd definitely be a good candidate to kind of fill out a Hall of Fame class for them. Yeah, and, and I, I don't think it's impossible, you know, because um, Sean Mooney, uh, who <laughs> you may know, I'm quite a big fan of Sean Mooney. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he, um, uh, he was one guy who vowed he'd never have anything to do with wrestling again. And then he cropped up on Raw that one night, didn't he? So it's not impossible um, for somebody who's completely turned their back on wrestling to come back in. Although for Tony, not only does that need to happen, but um, somebody in the industry itself has to want to make the overture. I don't think he was very popular with, with many guys. Um, and I, I, I also think that... Um, his 89 run didn't work out too well there, and uh, there may still be some residual from that as well. Um, okay, so moving on, we have the Texas Bull Rope match now between J.J. Dillon and the mysterious Midnight Rider. Um, and there's a stipulation here, which is if this mysterious Midnight Rider is unmasked and it turns out to be Dusty Rhodes then he will be suspended for one year from wrestling. Um, and I think this is because Dusty had to serve some suspension or something. Like he had a, like a 90-day suspension for some reason. Um, uh, we may have even seen uh, the match where he got suspended. Am I imagining this? Uh, I, I, I think that he's in disguise. He's because. Because he's just I don't think we saw the actual match, though. I mean, 
unless something happened at the end of that six man in the clash, that was the last time we saw him. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't I don't know really the backstory. I'm not 100 percent on why he went under the mask. If it, if it was in fact him. Okay. I mean, we we don't know who was under there, obviously, yeah. because you know we we never really saw it. I know a lot of people thought it was Dusty, but who knows? Could have been anybody under that mask. Certainly looks a little bit like Dusty, I'd say. He's got the same kind of build, you know. Oh, well, it's a pretty common build. About like two sixty, two hundred and sixty pounds. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, Dylan takes advantage uh, from the get-go. Um, he, he uses the um, he basically throws chalk in uh, the rider's face, blinding him, and uh, he chokes him in the corner. Um, he hits him, he gets a low blow with Cowbell, um, and I mean, a Texas bull rope match is basically a bit like a strap match, only they can pin. Um, the rider comes back, uh, hits Dylan um, in the face with the, with the Cowbell. Uh, the, um, the, the rider is really nailing Dylan in the in the face, um, he can. Uh, Dylan's got colour, bleeding quite heavily at this point, um, and um, uh, essentially uh, this goes on for some time. Um, Dylan at one point is so injured that he does the shaky leg cell, um, which, uh, which I always enjoy. Um, Vince was always a master of that as well. So injured that he's doing the shaky leg. Um, and then um, the rider does some like very dusty shucking and driving, um, <laughs> and uh, Ross Ross comes up with another kind of gold comment here. He says, "Look at JJ. The only thing keeping him up is his imagination," which is a which is another nice line from him. Um, we get another masked man that comes. Well, basically, uh, uh, the, the rider gets the three count, but another masked man comes out. Um, who's kind of quite a big looking guy uh, and he, he quickly becomes known as the Mars Texan um, Steve Williams comes out um, but the Mars Texan kind of gets the better of him uh, he starts nailing Williams with a cowbell um, and yeah that's kind of what happens here so who is this Mars Texan then? anyone? I thought it I thought it was Dick Murdoch. Yeah, am I am I wrong? I don't know. Hey, do you guys think there was anybody watching this at all in the whole world who didn't know that Dusty Rhodes was under that mask? Um, I don't think so. Like even a kid, like a 3-year-old. <laughs> I'm just wondering if there was anybody who really was unsure, but I I do think this is one of those instances where the crowd is in on the joke, is in on like I think everybody's meant to know that it's Dusty. Everybody well, yeah, it's it's, it's obvious like, that they are, especially because he's doing Dusty's moves. But I just wonder if there's anybody so into it that they just <laughs> didn't, they couldn't bring themselves to believe that that was that that was actually Dusty Rhodes under there. I I doubt it. I I I don't know. I mean. Chad is a six-year-old, maybe. I mean, maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe. It's, it's possible, maybe. I mean, uh, but I, I just think that it's it's meant like 
I think that they tried to make it obvious enough, even for the kids in the crowd. Um, right, and I think that um, one of the one of the things that's been very successful for I don't know if you guys are into uh, Chikara at all, but um, one of the angles that they just wrapped up was essentially the Midnight Rider, where they had a guy leave, you know, lose a loser leaves town match and come back under a mask, and it was you know, obvious to everyone that it was it was him, and he was recently unmasked. Um, at their last event, but, um, it was, it was a brilliant sort of, um, you know, kind of throwback to, to this sort of, you know, the crowd being in on the joke of the mask man and pretending all is one not to know who he actually is. Yeah. I, I, I think the, I think possibly the most famous example is the, uh, junkyard dog, uh, stagger Lee. Uh, I, I think that's the, that's one of the or, ones that ran quite a few times. To to go to the top of the show, Jimmy Valiant's Charlie Brown from Out of Town. Of course, yeah. Um, Charlie Brown from Out of Town. How could I forget? Um, are we going to give any thoughts on this match? Or would you, there was a lot of blood. Anything to say about this, Chad? It sucked. We can move on. Okay. Uh, so we're in the semi-final now, if anybody's still uh, keeping count, and we're in Greensboro. Um, we get the Powers of Pain, this is Sting and Luger. Uh, the Powers of Pain have got Ivan Koloff and Paul Jones in their corner. Magnum TA is in Sting and uh, Luger's corner. Uh, we get the Warlord to sti versus Sting to start. Barbarian comes in. We get a crossbody from Sting. Uh, Magnum whips Paul Jones. Uh, and I think Magnum's just got one arm at this point, or one arm that works. Um... Jones uh, takes his jacket off and kind of, you know, he's ready to go at Magnum. Uh, we get a test of strength now. Uh, Barbarian outpowers Sting, but Sting comes back, uh, so Barbari Barbarian kicks him. Uh, they, they go to that test of strength again. Uh, Sting flips him over. Uh, Luger comes in, uh, and he, he wrestles a bit with uh, Barbarian now, uh, with some arm bars. Uh, Sting comes in, Barbarian gets uh, that cool looking power slam again for about the 50th time tonight um, and then a clothesline to the outside there's a slam by the warlord um, and uh, he misses an elbow Luger comes in and he hits an elbow uh, some punches in the corner on the warlord now um, but then the warlord picks Luger up and kind of walks forward with him uh, in his arms about to slam him and sting Drop kicks Luger in the back, um, and uh, Luger lands on top of uh, the Warlord for the three. <laughs> Anyone got any thoughts on this one? There was a lot going on outside the ring. I mean, you 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 touched on it and and kind of moved on because I know you were just recapping the match, but the match seemed to really just be a distraction from all those dudes chasing each other around at ringside. Yeah, what what was going on out there? I mean, it was difficult to. What was going? Were were they trying to beat up Magnum TA? Or were they I think so, and I think I mean you have to, it, you know, in 1988 you had to be careful about that because obviously you couldn't, but you had to make it look like you were really trying, and so I think that's where all that running around and Magnum TA getting the riding crop and and going after. 
you know anything that moved on the outside but there there's there seemed to be a lot of distraction outside the ring on this one yeah Jim Ross did make a comment at one point that uh maybe one day we'll see Magnum back in the ring soon, so that they're still kind of clinging on to that hope or do you think uh, well I, I think I think it's time to put that hope to rest I mean he's around yeah, I, I mean Kip, give me a break. I think they were. I think they were just seeing lost revenue. Honestly, I mean, because Magnum was was posed to become. I, I still believe he would have been huge um, had had the accident not happened. And I think that they were. You know, they they had they had hooked the fans. I think, and and I think they were trying to keep them as long as they could, um, and sell. You know, Magnum as as this uh, this superhuman that could come back against these insurmountable odds and and drag them along as as long as they could all the while knowing that it would never you know i mean just seeing him here like you know like chad said just seeing him here it was, it was pretty obvious that this guy's not getting back in that ring he did have a right arm right he just couldn't use it it was very limited mobility but it, it was it was still there uh, chad did you have any thoughts on this uh, mainly the only thing uh, to add is Sting horribly botched a head scissors early in the match with Warlord. I don't know if he didn't flip over or what happened, but it looked ridiculous. And then uh, at the very end, the Barbarian gave Sting a boot, a big boot that sent him to the outside that looked amazing. He actually connected with it, and that looked really good. There, there was a part of the match where the barbarian's face paint was sort of peeling off of his forehead and, and hanging, drooping down over his his eyebrows, and his brow ridge, and it just looked really disgusting. I, I'm noticing Luger's not doing too much in these matches. Still, he didn't really do. That's so. that's because Luger's terrible. <laughs> well, I, I'm still clinging on to this idea that Luger's quite good. <laughs> uh, I like. I don't know. I, I still like his look. I think he looks good, and he. he oh yeah, he looks great. He he sweats a lot, so that makes him look even better. Like, cause he he he's always looks oiled up. Uh, I guess. Um, th th there wasn't there was a match that we didn't get to see. Um, uh, which was uh I think the, uh, Midnight's versus uh Sting and Luger, and uh, Meltzer gave that one a pretty decent rating. So, so. Unfortunate that we that we got to see this instead of that. Um, although, uh, you know, always interesting to see different combinations of guys against each other. I guess, even if it is um, Powers of Pain versus Sting and Luger. Um, so the, the the next match here is Arn and Tully versus the Fantastics. Um, Tully gets uh, the worst of it to start. Um, we get uh, a tender moment because basically Tully bails early on. And uh, Arn kind of wipes uh, Tully's eye for him, which was a which was a nice moment between those two. Um, Arn catches uh, Fulton um, with a uh, sneaky knee from the outside after an Irish whip by Tully. Arn goes to work on Fulton's back now. We get a backslide from Fulton, which gets one. Tully comes in. Um, Fulton takes a tumble to the outside. Arn clotheslines him onto the concrete. Uh, we get a sunset flip by Fulton on Tully, which gets a two. Arn comes in, but Fulton uh, is coming back uh, now. And um, so basically, Arn cheap shots Rogers to prevent the tag from happening. 
um, which was quite good. The the heels have cut off the ring at this point, uh, so we go into an abdominal stretch from Arn. Tully comes in, uh, get lateral press for two. Uh, he gives a chin lock, and then he does this uh, interesting little spot where he seems to lift Fulton up by the head and then drop him, which looked quite nasty. I um, uh, can't remember seeing that spot too many times. Um, Arn comes in um, and catches a punch or something from Fulton, which gives him enough time to get the hot, hot tag. Arn tags out. Um, the Fantastics double-team Arn. Uh, they get the rocket launcher on him, which gets two because Tully breaks it up, and then somehow Arn uses Dylan's shoe on Rogers for the three count. Chad? I, I enjoyed this. Uh, it was kind of a, a bridge version of, I think, a great match they could have had. Uh, but and I, I, it seemed like we got a decent portion of this match, mm -hmm. um, you know. When the I, we probably got like five minutes, five to six minutes here. Um, it seemed like a decent percentage of the match as a whole, and what we got was very good. Uh, you know, two teams that really know their roles and they executed it well here. Robert, I agree. It was it was a good match. Um, it was it's difficult to talk about because it was it was really good, but it was a, it was a standard. It was it was what you would have expected if you're familiar with the Fantastics and you're familiar with Blanchard and Anderson. It was the match you kind of thought they would have. Um, Tony Schiavone did mention an illegal shoe, which I thought was a good way to phrase it. Um, but yeah, it, and, and once again, we saw Tommy Rogers do the, uh, backflip, land on your feet out of the backdrop. So getting some mileage out of that move there. JJ Dillon does have the deadliest shoes in the, in the way, like they must be made out of steel or something. Uh, he should have, he should have worn those, um, to the Midnight Rider match. Yeah, he should, he should have really, rather than the, uh, kind of wore like a horrible USA t-shirt that had been ripped or something, didn't he? It was, yeah, it was more whole than shirt. <clears throat> so, yeah, I, I quite enjoyed that match as well. It was it was quite good. Um, so now we get Ric Flair, world champion, followed by B Barry Windham uh, in a suit. In a quite an ill-fitting Ill suit, I think. So, not making a great first impression to me as a horseman. Uh, he doesn't look that comfortable in this suit. Um, kind of looks like you ever been to like a wedding or something where somebody's clearly wearing like a father suit or something? Um, that didn't look right to me on him. Um, and he's facing Nikita Koloff again, uh, but this time Nikita Koloff has got hair and um, is significantly smaller than he used to be. Um, we, the commentators mentioned uh, trucking Tom Miller, the ring announcer. Um, I always thought he was called Dr. Tom Miller, so uh, trucking Tom Miller. Um, I listened to the fan reactions here, and some people seem to cheer Nikita Koloff, some people seem to boo him, some people seem to cheer Flair, some people seem to boo him, some people just seem to shout woo. Um, but Wyndham got some pretty good heel heat, I thought. Would you go along with that? Uh, on the crowd reactions there? Yeah, I think I think this was a pretty uh, uh, pro-Flair crowd. Absolutely. Yeah, this seems to be the wrong place um, to have this match if you're trying to get people 
you know, to hate Ric Flair. Yeah. Because I think the commentators were basically calling it that Flair was being booed and Koloff being cheered, but I wasn't buying that. And I don't think they, if they did touch up the crowd sound, I don't think they did a particularly good job of it. Um, Flair cuts a promo, but the mic levels aren't quite right, so I can't really hear what he's saying there. Um, did anybody catch what he was, did he say anything of note? I did not, but Barry seemed to enjoy it because he was laughing and <laughs> uh, looked jolly throughout the whole thing. Um, Ross makes a uh, Flair is the greatest champion of all time argument again, um, and he seems intent on this in early 88. Um, and I think he, I think even then in 88 you could probably make a good case for him uh, being one of the greatest of all time champions. Um, Koloff has dropped a lot of weight, and Ross uh, notes that this isn't the first time that uh, Flair has faced Nikita, which is some nice continuity from him. But he says that last time they faced each other, he was a 270 pounder, and now he's a lean 240 pounder. Um, anyway, to start off with, as you might imagine, Nikita is on top. Um, Flair turns the tables, though, with an inverted atomic drop and a knee drop. Um, which is about, I think, the last bit of offense he gets in on this match. Uh, Koloff comes back with a uh, with a kind of ring post groin spot, which uh, I notice Flair takes that spot quite often uh, in this period. Um, then he puts the figure four on, and Flair goes to the ropes. Um, and then, in a moment that I didn't understand at all, Young kicks Flair's hand away. Now, why did he do that? Tommy Young does that a lot to Ric Flair, actually. Um, he he does it to him... Oh, gosh, I wish I could remember specifically when. But I, there seems to be this, you know, real or, or scripted resentment between the two where, where Tommy Young gets kind of violent with Ric Flair in the ring. Yeah. Um, I guess under the guise of, you know, keeping it clean and calling it down the middle, but, um, you know, he's, he's definitely not taking any crap off of anybody. But this is not the first time that I've seen, you know, Tommy Young kick, uh, kick Ric Flair, specifically uh, his hand away from the ropes to try to keep the action moving. Usually he does that when Flair is cheating, when he's trying to use the ropes for leverage, when he has the figure four on. But in this case, Koloff has the figure f uh, four on him, well, Ross says that uh, this is the referee's discretion, but I'm calling bullshit on that. I just think the ref is being biased here. I don't think there's any other way to see it, is there? Well, it is it is worth noting that every time Tommy Young is in the ring with Ric Flair, Tommy Young gets knocked out. <laughs> so maybe he's just trying to exact some revenge. I, I, I mean, to me, this is uh, biased officiating that, my understanding of the rules of wrestling is that if Flair reaches the ropes, that means that it's a rope break, and that Koloff has to release the hold. So I don't think Tommy Young had any business kicking his uh, kicking his hands away there. Uh, anyway, Koloff elbow drops Flair's leg a few times, um, and I thought it was interesting that Koloff was basically using Flair's basic game plan against him. Um, Koloff uh, posts Flair outside. He nails him uh, on the wimpy blue Greensboro railings because uh, the railings at Greensboro aren't like anywhere else. They're kind of those thin blue railings. Um, we get seven punches in the corner. 
we get a semi-flare flip, um, we get some very ineffectual and no-sold offense from Flare. Uh, Nikita hits some more punches, Flare catches color. Shivani notes that Flare has been champion for most of the 1980s. Uh, Nikita, Nikita hits a sickle for a two-count. Um, Young uh, has apparently been poked in the eye uh, at some point by Nikita, which is a bit weird. Uh, we get a sickle clothesline to the outside by Nikita. Um, we get another sickle for two, um, and uh, Nikita for some reason raises his hand, although it's, it's clear that he didn't win. Um, then we get an Irish whip from Flair and a basic backdrop to the outside, and out of the blue we get a DQ finish for the over-the-top rope, and Flair wins the title. And I, I've just got a note here that this is a very, very lame finish to this match. Chad, any thoughts? Yeah, definitely a... Uh a lame finish to the match. Real disappointing match overall. I think we've seen these two uh, have some pretty good uh, matches together. This was just, uh, I think if you want to make a case for kind of autopilot flair, this was what he was tonight. And just the the, uh, the bloom is completely off the rose in regards to Nikita. He is... Uh, any of his mystique and his look and everything that he could have brought to the table to kind of hide his limited wrestling ability uh, a couple of years before is completely gone now. So uh, you just get a mediocre wrestler. Yeah. Robert, anything to add to that? I, I, I've always thought that the, uh, the over-the-top rope DQ is stupid because if you have a bad guy champion, why not just, you know, immediately after the bell, throw the guy over the top rope and walk out with the belt? It's just, it was it's a stupid rule. I didn't understand it when I was a kid, and I still don't understand why they did it as a grown-up. Just never got it. Yeah, in fact, the only um, the only people really to have ever got that real heel mentality that you've just mentioned are, are probably Money Inc. Um, who, when they were the tag champions in uh, 90, uh, 92, 93 sort of time, would just bail. They just have enough of a match and we're like, well, sod it, we're going to walk out and take the count out loss. They, and they do that all the time until Jack Tunney uh, got onto them and uh, stopped, stopped them doing that. So you're right. I mean, if Money Inc. were around in uh, 1988, they'd have just, and uh, then the end of WA, they'd have just jumped over the top rope, right? Every time. Um, I have, a, yeah, I thought this was a pretty bad match myself. And um, I didn't like the way that it was all Nikita. There was, I mean, Flair got no offense at all in this match, and then lost in the lamest possible way as well. Were they? And this is my ignorance of of the behind the scenes kind of observer type stuff. But were they trying to build Nikita up into something? Was this was this kind of his build up to whatever they were doing? I, I don't remember what he was what was going on with Mr. Koloff at this time. Well, um, Melter says here that um, what can you say about Nikita Koloff that hasn't been said, he says. He can't wrestle. He's not very over. Um, nobody cared about this match. He's not a drawing card. There's a joke among certain wrestlers of certain federations, none of whom work here, that whenever JJ goes to kiss Dusty's ass late in the afternoon for the fourth or fifth time that day, he can't do it. Nikita's feet are in the way. <laughs> Rick, <laughs> that's what he says. <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty extreme. Um, 
so uh, yeah, I mean, he's pretty down on uh, Nikita Kolov, um, and I, I think that this is probably the last of the dying embers of any sort of push that Nikita would have. Um, and I think that they stuck him in here as a placeholder um, because he needed to defend the belt against someone and Nikita was just there. You know? I think this is the equivalent of like um, Hulk Hogan versus Affa or Seeker or something that they stick on a random Saturday night's main event, if that makes any sense. As an analogy. I mean, I've seen better flair title defenses on W. UCW Saturday night. Um, yeah. It just, yeah, it, this was not, this, it wasn't even fun. I mean, it was fun when Ric Flair did the stuff that Ric Flair always does, but Ric Flair always does that. So if you want to see him yell, oh God, really loud, or get hit in the crotch, you know, any, there's any number of good Ric Flair matches from around this time that'll give you. The only give thing you that. that we can draw consolation from is that, according to Meltzer, this was a 30-minute match, and I don't think we got 30 minutes here. I, I don't think oh, no. we did. I don't. Yeah. No, we I got don't. like eight. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm. That's mercy, merciful for us, because uh, I did not have any fun watching this at all. It was just kind wow. of. Wow. Like, because I mean, the Kita at 240 pounds with hair, that like Chad said, any. Thing that made him interesting is now gone. Um, so, anyway, uh, this brings us to the final, final of the Crockett Cup, 1988, the very last Crockett Cup, I believe. So, um, treasure it while it's still um, alive. Um, <laughs> we get Sting and Luger with Magnum TA in the corner again. Uh, this is Arn and Tully with J.J. Dillon. Um, and I, I note again that the Crockett Cup really looks like the uh, European Cup in football. So if you just pull up a, a Google image search of that and compare it to the Crockett Cup, they're almost identical. Um, as we start here, uh, Luger headlocks Arn. We get two drop kicks from Luger. Uh, Arn bails. Um, and uh, the commentators really rail on Arn for this move. It's like he starts walking back down the aisle. And the commentator's like, what are you doing? There's a million dollars at stake. A whole million dollars. What are you doing, on? One million dollars. Walking back down the aisle. Um, and then we get a very strange spot where Arn, standing outside the ring, tags Tully in from the outside. Which is, um, again, like d d Ross and Shivani just can't make head nor tail of this. Um, anyway, this... Um, uh, really breaks whatever momentum Luger had uh, from a psychological point of view. Arn re-enters re the ring, he gets a head scissors on Luger, Tully comes in, we get a wrist lock by Luger, Sting comes in, Gorilla presses Tully, um, and Luger and Sting pull a gypsy switch uh, while the ref's back is turned, which is a nice little move where they're doing a bit of heel tactics. Um, Luger progressively works on uh, arms uh, on arms I, I noticed that he was working on the right arm and then he started working on the left arm um, so I don't know what was going on there um, Arn stretches uh, for a tag but Luger um, nails uh, Tully and I like this idea that um, Ross is trying to get over that Luger has learnt some horseman tactics um, do, you know during his time with them and he's using some of these techniques now um, Tully uh, sneak attacks uh, 
I think Sting on the outside uh, bashes him into the wimpy railings. Um, we get a backbreaker on Sting uh, from Tully back inside the ring. Arn hits the spinebuster on Sting for two. Tully comes back in. We get a couple of couple of punches. Arn comes back in. Snapmare. Uh, Sting hits his uh, uh, has his leg and then clotheslines him. Um, but it's just a hope spot. Tully comes back in. We get a few body blows. Uh, then we get a stinger splash, um, and Trevani just says that's his move because uh, it doesn't have a name yet. Um, we get a DDT from Arn on Sting, uh, only two. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, if that was Italian Stallion, that was a three count, but it's Sting this time, so it's only a two. Um, uh, we get a hot tag to Luger, uh, who gets the double noggin knocker on the heels. Uh, we get a spine, another spine buster from Arn, which uh, which gets two. And then Magnum TA uh, grabs Arn's foot and trips him, which gets a two count. Arn retaliates, grab, grabs Magnum by the hair, um, and this allows Sting to get a, a small package for the three. Uh, and quite a cheap win there with the faces, but they win, get this, one million dollars. One million dollars! And the Crockett Cup. So. Um, Robert, thoughts on the final? One million dollars, man. One million dollars. Um, most of my notes are about Magnum TA's ride to the ring in a golf cart and how great Arn Anderson looks in this match. Um, his spine buster was amazing. Um, he's the best guy. He's the best wrestler. And this match was kind of dull, but... I I liked watching Arn Anderson work because there was a lot of physical stuff. There was a lot of storytelling that he did that was that was really spectacular. And um, it was even though it was set up so that Sting and Luger could win one million dollars, um, it, it was it was Arn Anderson's match. Chad. Yeah, I mean I think kind of by default this is the best match on the show just because. It's the only one we get to see more than 10 minutes of. Uh, but it really wasn't very good. I agree that Anderson and uh, both Anderson and Blanchard, kind of the good portions of the match were based on what they were doing. Uh, I was kind of, I was always disappointed in Sting and uh, Luger's performance really on this show overall because, uh, like I said, I like Sting and the Clash show, and he didn't show much here, and Luger really showed nothing, and he had shown glimpses in other shows of at least uh, doing some decent type of uh, power moves and stuff so far with his development. And then the ending, I think, is uh, was a very cheap ending. I, I, I mean, I kind of like sometimes the baby face getting one over on the heels, uh, but th like just the way, I guess, it was done like it looked like Magnum was kind of a sneaky bastard, you know, and tripping yeah. up Arn and giving them the victory. So I didn't like that at all either. No, I I didn't like that uh, either. That the the, the faces uh, getting a cheap win and um, yeah, shades of Hogan at WrestleMania four there from uh, from Magnum TA. Um, yeah. 
that Meltzer says that um, there's only a half house for the finals. That the Greensboro, they only sold half of the seats there. And he tries to account for why that was. Um, and he says the reasons are this. Flair's match meant nothing. And that the, this one million dollars is... One million dollars! BS. And it isn't believed by anyone but the densest marks. Uh, and unless you have a strong tournament and the fans know who is in it, tournaments aren't a big draw. This whole mid-life rider bits has been a bit of a flop. <laughs> I like that. He calls him the mid-life rider. <laughs> um, they spent too much valuable TV time getting a guy who should be a legend already over, not pushing the guys who theoretically need time to get over. So, um, any final thoughts on the, this entire card? Do you think Meltzer gets it right there? In, uh, I do agree with with what you or what he said through you about Flair's match. I mean it it's hard to it's hard to believe that that would have been a draw, especially with a card. You know, as you said, um, or as you quoted, that that was kind of uncertain. I mean, nobody really knew what else was on that card just because it was you know. This weird tournament thing that they that they had set up. So yeah, I, I wonder if the Crockett Cup was ever a good idea as a as a kind of card to draw fans to. It's weird because I remember it fondly, and then you know watching this one, I'm kind of scared to go back and watch because I do have tapes of the the first two, and I'm. I'm kind of scared to go back and watch him because maybe it's not as good as I remember. But, it, you know, I mean, sometimes things are like that. Ch Chad, you got any thoughts about this show and the Crockett Cup in general as a concept? Um, I'm glad this is our last Crockett <laughs> Cup. And uh, honestly, this I, 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 this show actually snuck up on me because I know before I praised that from here on out we should have mostly complete shows and complete matches and uh this certainly wasn't the case here i just think the whole uh the crockett cup could have been something that uh they built up but uh they seemed to make it pretty insignificant just from a production standpoint the way they presented it and so therefore if you don't care that much about it why should we yeah I did, I, one thing I did notice about the VHS is that uh, this was part of something called the Carolina Collection. This is the first time I'd come across this uh, Carolina Colle Carolina's co Collection. I wonder if that was just like the uh, tagline, though. I, I, I saw that too, and I didn't know if it was like a set, or if it was just like, you know, like uh, Crockett Cup 88, the Carolina Collection, like the name of the event. Oh, yeah. Because I know, like, Starcade 88 has, like, the True Grit time uh, tagline under it, so... True true Grit with two Ts. Yeah. They always went for those taglines. So, what, you think it was Crockett Cup 88, Carolina's Collection? That's an awful... Yeah, which which makes no sense at all, but I, I don't know. I wonder what else was in that VHS If it was a VHS collection, I wonder what else was in it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I, I think we've come to that time. Uh, it's just been a pretty long show. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> we've, uh, Robert, we, we've 
we've done this show, show for many weeks now, and we're usually done in two hours. Um, so you you are the differentiator, I think. I, I think I kept derailing things and talking about dumb stuff, and I, I do apologize, especially to you, uh, because you live in a country where it's, um, <laughs> I think, 6 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> it, it is. It, I, I, I don't really want to tell you what the time is, but it's uh, past 4 a.m. here right now. So. Okay. Oh, I don't think Parv sleeps. I've kind of <laughs> discovered that. Um, so... Um, Robert, you're the guest, so we'll let you go first. Um, at, at the end of each of our shows, we give three awards. MVP, um, Match of the Night, and the Billy Graham Award, which goes to um, the least valuable player, I guess you'd call it. You know, I've, I've heard your show before, and being from the South, it took me a few minutes to to think of the fact that you were talking about superstar Billy Graham I thought you guys were talking about the evangelist Billy Graham, and I was wondering why you named the award after him. Um, but it, I mean, it, 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 I didn't suffer under that illusion for a long time, but it, at very first, I was like, why are they, what's Billy Graham got to do? Oh, that Billy Graham. Um, so, okay. It was um, a wrestling podcast, yeah. I mean, let's see. The, uh, okay. Obviously, and and this is look most valuable player pistol Pez Watley. <laughs> God, okay. Look, he's not going to get any awards unless I give them to him. So we're just going to let him have it. Um, How do you want him to the, appear on the uh, on the uh, on the table there? Because this will go in the history books. So do you want him as pistol Pez Watley or as Sheska? Hmm. <clears throat> If if this is if this is for for any sort of for any sort of long term historical, I'm gonna go with Pistol Pez Shaska Watley. I'm gonna give him all of them. Sure. Okay. I know. I'm sorry. It has to be done. Um, for match of the evening, honestly, I I think as little of it as we saw, uh, just because of the the way I feel about the guys in the match, it would probably be uh, Blanchard and Anderson versus the Fantastics. Okay. And um, the uh, the the least valuable. I mean, in a show where we had Luger and Sting, probably Nikita. Nikita Koloff. Yeah, I mean, it just didn't. That match didn't do anything for me. It was, it was, as you as you read from what Dave Meltzer said. I mean, it was it was really kind of pointless, and and Flair seemed to be carrying him, you know, for for the majority of the the eight to twelve minutes we saw. So I can only assume what the full half hour, as you said, was like. So. Chad, um, I'm gonna go with my MVP with uh, Arn Anderson. Thought he looked well uh, and good in all the matches we saw him. Did yeah. uh, I mean, you know, just solid work that went above and beyond what everybody else was doing. Uh, match of the night. I'm going to pick the main event, uh, but it's, again, it's kind of more of a default type thing where it's really the most complete match we got, and it wasn't terrible. Uh, it was, I would say it was a good match, but nothing great, but... 
that would have to be my match of the night. Least uh, valuable person, Billy Graham Award winner. I actually I had Nikita in mind too because uh, I think this really, I mean, you know, I know he had personal issues going on at this time, but this his match with Flair just seemed sad and really a throwaway title match. Um, so he's my least valuable player also. Okay. Um, my MVP is also going to be on, I think. And I, I, I gave it to him last show as well. I worried that he'll never get it again. But um, Arn's really like coming to his own during this uh, particular tag run, I think. And um, he hit so many sweet spine busters uh, this evening. That it has to be him, really. Match of the night is difficult, you know. Because um, none of them really... None of them really stand out as being particularly good. It's a very slim picking this evening. But if I was to... Um, they're all a bit crap, aren't they? Uh, there's, there's nothing there, is there? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to have to go with the main event. I'm just going to go the same as... Uh, just by default, almost. I mean... It, just, just because we uh, we got two spinebusters from Arn during that match, and it was pretty decent, you know. So I'm going to go with uh, Arn and Tully versus Sting and Luger. And Billy Graham uh, Award. A plethora of options, I think. I'm going to go with... Um, in a way, it might be fun to go for Pez Watley, wouldn't it? Because... No, no, it would not be first, fun at all. That would be the first time that somebody's won MVP and uh, and Billy Graham in the in the same show. Uh, but I don't think so. I'm going to go with um, Nikita. In some ways, is the obvious choice here. Um, yeah, I, I I hate to be boring, but it's going to be three in a row for Nikita Koloff because he. Um, he brought so little to that match. So little of anything. No intensity, no nothing. Didn't even look like he wanted to win. So there we are. <laughs> um I think I think next time um we're gonna it's gonna be Clash Two, right, Chad? Yeah, it'll be the Clash Two. Um so hopefully we should be uh should be able to knock it out in the next week or so. I'm actually going to be in uh, Dubai. Oh yeah, I forgot you got your travels. We're going to be right. on a little uh, hiatus uh, for, for a while. Although I'll try to upload this uh, particular episode before I go. So uh, keep, you know, we got more than this may even be our first three-parter, believe it or not. <laughs> Robert, thanks, thank, thanks a lot for your uh, time this evening and for taking part in this. <laughs> Thank you guys for asking me. I hope I I didn't derail it too much. I I had a blast. I mean, I, I, oh, and, uh, and like there are many more shows coming up in '88 and '89. So if you if if there's a, another show that you'd like to come on, would you'd be welcome back in the rotating uh rotating hot seat. So I appreciate that. I will I will come back anytime I'm asked. Thanks a lot. Uh, so so long, everybody. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go eat me some uh, sausage gravy and biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> See you, guys. All right, See bye. Ya. All right, sorry to keep you up so late, man. No, it's all right. All right, thank you very much. Have a good night yeah. or morning or whatever it is. Hopefully speak to you again. See you, Robert. Right. Goodbye.
Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage, for Cowboy Bill Watts and the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody.